Well, good morning. So good to see you this morning. Welcome to worship. We're going to have a fun time this morning. We're going to walk down memory lane. It's been about three years since we've done this song. And uh, I thought with the beginning of new community group uh, season, be a great time to sing about some of those old Sunday school songs. So why don't you stand to your feet and sing these with me. And you can do the motions too. Shines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Look away beyond the blue. Lord, oh, do Lord, oh, do remember me. Savior, you take him to. I took Jesus as my Savior, you take him to. I took Jesus as my Savior, you take him to. Look away beyond the blue. Do Lord, oh, do Lord, do remember me. Do Lord, oh, do Lord, oh, do remember me. Do Lord, oh, do Lord, oh, do remember me. Look away. The joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. Get this. I have the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart. Way down in the depths of my heart. I have the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. Down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. That's the good for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the good for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, for I am C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-T-A-R-T-A-N. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-T-A-R-T-A-N. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-T-A-R-T-A-N. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-T-A-R-T-A-N. I am a C-H-
This next one, girls are going to start, guys are going to answer. Little call and response. You ready? If you're happy and you know it, then your life 
church service this morning we are very grateful that you are here worshiping with us at Pitts Baptist Church and we especially want to, to welcome uh, any visitors that we might have and if you are visiting with us we invite you to take a care card that is in the pew back in front of you and just fill that information out put it in one of the boxes that are in the foyer of the sanctuary you can hand it to one of our staff members we would love to know of your visit with us so please take time to do that this morning and on the flip side of that care card, there's a place for anyone to fill out a prayer request. And so if you have any prayer needs uh, that you would like your staff to pray for, you can put that information on it as well and turn it in the same way. But either way, we are just certainly uh, happy that you are here this morning to worship with us. A uh, couple of announcements for you. First thing is Friendly Neighbors is this Tuesday at Dorton Park, and that's at 1130. So bring your goodies and we'll have a time of food and fellowship. And we have a, a special treat, the Helms family. They've actually been with us before. It's like a bluegrass band. They will be coming uh, for entertainment. So that's going to be a great day. Pray for good weather. But you guys uh, who are in Friendly Neighbors, invite some friends to come to this event. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure that you make your way to Dorton Park this Tuesday at 1130. 
Um, Sunday, October the 2nd, is a very special day in the life of our church. Uh, it's a day that we celebrate the missions that our church has been involved in and will be involved in. And we actually give that day a title. It's called Missions and Actions. Uh, so uh, this will include breakout sessions instead of Sunday school that morning. Uh, so the breakout sessions will take the place of our regular community groups uh, and, and Sunday school. Uh, I'm, it's just so hard to say community groups. I don't know why. It says Sunday school community groups. Same thing, right? So, uh, but we will have a menu of these breakout sessions available next week. And so when you come, it's a regular time, 9 o'clock, we'll have some breakout sessions all over the campus, and you choose which breakout session that you will want to, to go to. And then immediately following that, we'll come in here for worship, uh, but that day, Randy Maynard, who is the Great Commission Catalyst for our region, will be our featured speaker. So it's a missions emphasis all day long. And then after the morning worship service, we're going to have lunch, and lunch is always a great thing to do. Um, and so the Baptist Mission Disaster Relief Team will be feeding us that Sunday. So uh, be looking for ways that you can RSVP to this, but that's going to be a great day. We'll hear from teams that have gone to Alaska uh, sharing testimonies. You'll see some ways that the Lord has used our, our missions efforts here at Pitts Baptist. Uh, so it's just going to be a great day. Uh, that day we also take up our harvest offering. So it's just going to be a day focused on missions. We hope and pray that you are able to make this a part of your day on October the 2nd. Um, ladies, uh, your fall Bible study will begin this Thursday at 10 o'clock in the morning and then also at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, and this semester, you will be doing a study by Jen Wilkin, which is God of Covenant, and it's a study on Genesis 12 through 50. The cost for that is $15, uh, and there's more sign-up information at the desk here in the foyer, or you can see Connie Davis for more information. So that will be a great study for you guys to be involved in. There's still time to join the choir, Jonathan says. Uh, we... The choir, we're growing in numbers. Y'all sound great. It's awesome. But we want more of you up here. And it'd be a great time uh, to be a part of our choir as they get ready or as you get ready for our Christmas musical com coming up in December. So uh, practice, it starts at 640 on Wednesday nights. We would love to have you. And I know Jonathan would too. Can I get amen, Jonathan? There we go. Awesome. Good job. Uh, and uh, guys, there are still three spots available uh, for uh, men's weekend this coming weekend at Snowbird. Um, if you would like to go to that, please see Kevin Seeger as soon as you can. So those are our announcements. Now, as we uh, turn our attention uh, to a time of prayer, um, let's not forget that uh, 21 years ago today, at about this time, America changed forever, right? And so we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning, uh, not only remembering that, but just a, just a time of a focused prayer introspective and i want to lead us through just a couple of things uh, as we pray together so i'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray silently as i guide you along and and then after a moment of silent prayer i'll voice a prayer for us this morning spend some time in adoration the bible tells us that we're not to forget any of his benefits Spend time just adoring the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Also this morning, maybe you need to spend some time in confession. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Spend time in confession. Tell him what you're thankful for. Thankful for the forgiveness that he does provide. The salvation that he does provide. The physical blessings of life. The spiritual blessings of life. The Bible tells us to give thanks in everything. And lastly, as you spend time in supplication this morning, pray for our country. Pray for our leaders, people in law enforcement, our firemen, our first responders. We have so much to pray for. Pray for the families who are still dealing with the loss of 9-11. Father, it's so good to call upon your name this morning. We know that we cry out to a God who hears and answers our prayers. Lord, we have so much to adore you for. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. We praise you, Father, for your sovereignty, for your goodness. Lord, you give to us yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who establishes in us our great need for you. And then you draw us unto yourself. God, thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just and, and you forgive us. Father, it has nothing to do with our obedience, but everything to do with your forgiveness. But because we have been forgiven, Lord, we want to be obedient children, sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, as we make supplication this morning, we lift to you the needs of those around us, God, who need to know you, who need to have a relationship with you. Lord, use us as the vessels of the gospel that would point people to the Lord Jesus Lord, we pray for those who, God, are in physical need this morning, who are sick. Lord, that you would be ever near and dear to them. 
let them know your presence in a very powerful way. And Lord, for families who are still dealing with the tragedy that happened 21 years ago, God, that, Lord, they would know you. They would know that you're the God of all peace and all comfort. And Lord, we pray your richest blessings upon those who protect us. Our law enforcement, our firemen, our first responders, our teachers. God, we have so many people to pray for. Help us to not be negligent about praying for them. God, again, thank you so much for this time where we can distill our hearts before you knowing that we pray to a God who hears and who answers our prayers. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. On September 11th, 2001, the course of American history was suddenly changed. We remember the chaos and the confusion, the destruction and the heartbreak, the shock of 3,000 lives lost in a single day. But we also remember the great resolve of everyday people, the acts of heroism that brought us together the men and women who stood in the gap, somehow still fighting, giving every ounce of strength to help others. Decades have passed since that historic day. And in that time, we have learned that despite all the suffering and loss, our God remains faithful. Even when smoke and debris obscure our paths, his unfailing love will carry us through. As we remember those who were lost, let us honor their memory with our lives, giving our own strength to help the hurting, making sacrifices for those around us, and sharing the faith which brings eternal hope and peace. This is our promise and our prayer for 9-11.
Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen. Sing this great hymn with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood.
Mark chapter 6 in your copy of the scripture. Mark chapter 6 as we continue walking through uh, the gospel of Mark. And uh, we're up to chapter 6 looking at the 13th message now. A message I've entitled Circumstances When Jesus Refuses to Work. Mark chapter 6. If you'd find your place in your copy of God's Word, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Reach forward and grab one of those. And uh, in fact, if you don't have a Bible at home, take that one and make that your uh, very own. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? Mark chapter 6, Circumstances when God, when Jesus refuses to work. Verse 1 says, he went away from there and came to his hometown. It reminds me of the scenario in Luke chapter 4. Some think perhaps this is the same occasion. Uh, probably most think it's not the same occasion. That Luke's would have been near the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. This one in the middle or towards the end. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and uh, Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. 
And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Father, we thank you for this gospel that shows us Jesus in action. Going rapidly from one scene to the other. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. God, we thank you for the lives that we've seen changed. And yet we see a very disturbing scene here in Mark chapter 6. And it reminds us of the old saying that familiarity can breed contempt. Lord, may it not be so among us today. I pray that it would never be said of us that Jesus marvels at our unbelief. Lord, use this message today for your purposes, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The context to uh, chapter 6 is truly wonderful. All you have to do to see the context of this chapter would simply be to turn a page backwards and read over the events of chapter 5 once again. Chapter 5 was a wonderful chapter of faith and deliverance. A, de- a, a demoniac was healed. And immediately he is so excited he wants to become a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus has done for him what no man has been able to do. Jesus' power to cast out demons also amazes the townspeople. They are in awe. They are in fear. And as a result, they ask him to leave. And Jesus leaves. And then there's the woman with the issue of blood who is healed. She thought, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She has faith. I think she knew her Bible, the last book of the Old Testament, told the people of the glorious time that would arrive when the Messiah uh, came on the scene. Malachi 4.2 stated that the Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. The wings were the tassels on the hem of the garment. And so she's thinking, this man Jesus is the Messiah. If I can only touch the hem of his garment, if I can only touch those tassels, those wings, I will be healed. She had faith. And indeed she was healed. And then there was the little girl who is healed. She's Jairus' daughter. He's the ruler of a synagogue. He said, Lord, if you lay her hands on her, she will live. Jairus had faith that Jesus is the one that they had been waiting for. And his faith was rewarded. With the exception of the townspeople asking Jesus to leave after the demoniac was delivered, Mark 5 is a wonderful chapter of healing and miracles. The light of God is shining on people and their very lives, their families, their towns are being changed. P. 
people are experiencing trans transformation in their lives and they'll never be the same again but then we turn the page in Mark chapter 6 and we see that there, there's a very dark atmosphere about Mark chapter 6 as it begins there's a cloud immediately over this chapter Jesus goes to his hometown. It's homecoming time. It ought to be a glorious time. Jesus is back in town for a visit. What a wonderful opportunity this ought to be for the, for the townspeople. But it's anything but that. Folks, while God is sovereign, which involves his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, in some situations God has ordained in his sovereignty that he will not work if we do not believe. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Now this should not lead, lead one to believe that man can stop God's sovereignty. If that were so, then God truly would not be sovereign because, God, uh, because man could dictate when God could be sovereign and act accordingly and when God couldn't. However, God's sovereignty is a complete sovereignty, which is the only sovereignty that there can be, even by definition of the term. But in God's sovereignty, he has decreed that in some scenarios, he will not operate apart from our willingness or our faith. We've already seen, for instance, when the townspeople came out in chapter 5 and wanted Jesus to leave their midst, what did Jesus do? He got in a boat and he left. And think about what the people in that area missed. What other miracles might have Jesus done in their midst? But he honored their request. He left. Did that jeopardize his sovereignty? Certainly not. He simply chose to not stay where he wasn't welcome. And that's what we see here. I want you to notice with me first of all today. On the Sabbath, Jesus was regularly in the synagogue. A place of worship and instruction. Jesus went to the synagogue to take part in the worship. Now, the, the synagogue was a place of prayer. It was a place of instruction. It was a place of worship. They did not offer sacrifices at the synagogues. That was reserved for the temple. The synagogue sprang up during the period of the exiles when Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Judah, destroyed the temple in the city, took many of the Jews to Babylon where they were for 70 years. The exile was disciplined from the Lord on their disobedience. They had failed to keep the law of God. They had failed to keep the Sabbaths. And God had warned them time and time again. He had sent prophets to them. And they had refused to listen. And so finally in his judgment and in his discipline. He sends them away into Babylon for 70 years. And of course being in a foreign land. They did not have the temple. They could not sacrifice. 
And so they built synagogues, assembly places, which would act as satellite centers to the temple, if you will. These were places of corporate worship set up in every community where the Jews had settled. And they would hear teaching from the rabbis. They would take the scrolls out of those cabinets and unroll them to the weekly reading. And the uh, rabbis would read those or maybe a guest whom the rabbi invited to read that day. And then they would listen to instruction from the Torah, the law of God, and they would pray to God. These were great times uh, of worship, even in a foreign land. And then once they got back from exile, they continued to dot the landscape of Israel with synagogues which would act essentially as their neighborhood church. And then every adult Jewish male was expected uh, certain times of the year to make the journey to Jerusalem to the rebuilt temple there to take part in sacrifice. It's at one of the synagogues. In fact, the synagogue of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, where he is on this particular day. We know that it was his practice on the Sabbath to go to the synagogue. You know, going to church ought to be a wonderful thing. Things happen in church. The Word of God is read. The Word of God is taught. And we're told in Scripture, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I think of the occasion in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John are going up. They're going up to the temple to worship. And there's a lame man at the gate of the temple. And he is healed. And that lame man gets up running through the temple, jumping and praising God at what has happened in his life. Places of worship ought to be great places to go. You never know, tremendous things can happen when we're in worship together. Some young person, their life, their heart might be changed forever. God might call them into a lifetime of missions or, or surrender to the ministry. Or, or some young person, even some aged person may understand the gospel for the first time. As the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and brings them to faith in Jesus Christ. And they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus, where the old is gone, behold, the new has come. You never know when something like that might happen in church. No wonder the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Folks, as we come to the house of the Lord, we remember that God is our creator. He's our savior. He's our shepherd. He's our sustainer. Chances are, if I were to ask you to stand across both levels of this sanctuary and give testimony as to when you were saved, most of you, without a doubt in my mind, would give testimony of being in church sometime in the past. Maybe it was vacation Bible school. Maybe it was a revival. Maybe it was a Sunday morning or Sunday evening service. But chances are, it was in a church service, a public gathering when you were saved. Jesus made it a point to go to the place of worship. As I mentioned earlier, Luke 4, we see him doing the same. 
was this the same setting as that or was this uh, different? This is probably different. And as Jesus teaches the law of God, we're told here that the people were amazed. He taught as one having authority. I'm reminded of how the Sermon on the Mount ends when, when he gets to the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And it says the people were amazed. He didn't teach as the, as the scribes and the Pharisees, but his teaching had authority. The people here in Nazareth this day they are amazed. But I want you to see, secondly, unfortunately, the people reject Jesus. Look at verse 2 again. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him there's such irony here on the one hand they're amazed they're amazed to be able to recount everything that he's done what mighty works have been performed by his hands they know they've heard about these they've seen some of these mighty works that he's done but suddenly they take offense they say we know who he is this is the carpenter the word is actually tecton, which can refer as much or even more to a stonemason as to a carpenter who work, works with wood. Now, I know I might be messing up your thinking. You're, you've always thought about Jesus growing up uh, under the guidance of Joseph and working with wood in a woodworker's shop. And, and that might have been true. Jesus probably made plows. He made yokes to go over the animals. But, again, the word mainly refers to a stone cutter. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that there are rocks everywhere you look across every green pasture and you see nothing but rocks scattered throughout it there's an old Jewish fable that says at the creation of the world God sent an angel across the globe with a huge bag of rocks and this angel was to fly and he was to scatter rocks out across over the face of the earth but when he was flying over Israel he dropped the bag of rocks and they all dumped out there It's a land of rocks. Houses have rock walls. Fields have rock fences around them. Everything is built out of rocks. And they have tectons. They have stone cutters. They were stonemasons. And that's the word that is used here of Jesus. It was a trade that he had learned with Joseph, his earthly father. When Joseph was told to return from Egypt with Mary and Jesus, and he learned that uh, Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, uh, Joseph made a detour. He decided to take his young family uh, to a region of Galilee and settle in Nazareth that was under the administration of Herod Antipas. This would have been a region of the land that would, would have been viewed as being less dangerous. It's also been suggested that Herod Antipas' decision 
to rebuild the city of Sephorus, which is four miles away from Nazareth, drew a lot of skilled workers like Joseph to that area. Herod, Herod Antipas wanted to turn Sephorus into the crown jewel city of the region of Galilee. And so there, for, a, for a skilled craftsman like Joseph, there would have been guaranteed labor in a place like Sephorus. And so many believe that's why Joseph took the family up there from the human standpoint of view and he settled in Nazareth. He would have guaranteed work for years. And Jesus would have been taught the same trade as his father. Jewish men taught their sons a trade. They said for a dad not to teach his son a trade was essentially teaching his son to steal. According to the Talmud, a father owed his son at least four things. He was to have his son circumcised. He was to give his son instruction in the Torah, the law of God. He was to teach his son a manual trade. And he was to secure a wife for his son. When you think of Jesus' trade, he, he was a blue-collar worker with his hands. I mean, everything about the Lord Jesus spoke of humility. He came humbly. He wasn't born into a palace in Rome or in Athens, Greece. He wasn't even born into a palace in Jerusalem. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He came humbly in his birth. He grew up with a humble trade. He worked with his hands. It reminds me of what Isaiah 53 says of him, that there would be nothing about the life of Jesus that would cause men, just on appearances sake, to be drawn to him. He came humbly. And everybody in Nazareth knew his half-brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph had other children. And what do they say here? They say, is this not the son of, of Mary? It could be an indication that by now Joseph has already died. Or it might even have been an insult. They might have been suggesting that Jesus was illegitimate in his birth. And suddenly the Bible tells us here, they were offended. I want you to underscore that word in your text. They were offended. It's the word from which we get our word uh, to stumble or to scandalize. They were scandalized. They stumbled over the cornerstone. It, it reminds me of what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2. And in 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed this precious value then is for you who believe but for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected 
This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. They stumbled because they could not believe that somebody with such humble beginnings who they knew could say all that Jesus was saying and do all that he was doing. You see, there was the false assumption that when the Messiah came, he would come in great pomp and and circumstance, great pomp and glory. But here's somebody who grew up among them, and he was a tecton. He was a, a craftsman working in stone and wood. How could he be the Messiah? They knew his family. You can almost imagine a couple saying, Jesus came over to our house many times. When our boys were young, he played with our boys. And he was always a good influence on our boys. We enjoyed when he'd come over. But we remember him sitting at our table and eating and playing ball with our boys out in the yard. And they took offense. Again, folks, it's a case of familiarity. Familiarity can come in many flavors or nuances. Somebody even today can assume that they know so much about Jesus and they've heard so much about him. They they don't really hear his claims over their lives. They may come to church week after week and and messages just kind of become ho-hum. They listen, but they don't really listen. They go to Sunday school or community groups As Kevin pointed out, they go to community groups, they sit down, they listen, they just sort of half-heartedly hear, they leave, they check off the box, they go home, and they never really encounter the Lord. And they kind of assume, you know, I've got all the time in the world to get serious about this Christianity stuff. You know, it's probably the most dangerous situation for somebody to be in. Familiarity breeds contempt. As one commentator says on his his writing on Mark, familiarity apart from faith seems to inoculate as often as it enlivens. And you know, I might even be talking to somebody like that here today. You've heard this message. You've heard about Jesus so much. You've been to so many church services, heard so many Sunday school lessons and sermons. You don't even really pay attention to them anymore. I've heard all of that. I'm not going to experience anything new today. I know all of that. Very likely somebody here today in that scenario. Maybe you've not seen God work in your life. Maybe you've even concluded God isn't working in people's lives the way he did in the times of the Bible. So again, it's all all just sort of ho-hum to you. Cut and dry. Let's get it over with. Let's go home. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. The third thing I want you to see, though, as a result, Jesus could do no mighty work. Jesus said to them there in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He could do no mighty work there. Why? Because again, for the most part, Jesus linked his work with people's faith. Now don't misunderstand. 
Contrary to the modern faith movement, people's faith is not what magically unleashes God's power as though our faith is in the driver's seat. Some in the faith movement, you know, say, if you say it, if you verbalize it, it's done. They would give creative power to even our words. I remember a number of years ago being in Home Depot and in the checkout line and a few of us were talking and as we were talking there's a huge storm brewing that day and I said yeah it looks like it's going to be a pretty bad storm and the lady checking me out said take it back. I said take what back? She said you said there's going to be a bad storm today. Yeah it does. The forecast saying looks, looks like it's going to be a bad storm. Well, you've created it with your words. We're going to have a bad storm now. You need to take that back. And I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I didn't even get into it. Maybe it was a lost witnessing opportunity, but I just kind of moved on. <laughs> but again, there's this faith movement that says, if you say it, it's done. And I've got a word for that kind of theology. It's spelled H. O-G-W-A-S-H. So we're not being told here that because they wouldn't say it, that he was the Messiah, or they wouldn't recognize him as God, that his hands were completely tied. That's not what we're being told here. Rather, it is that God himself has purpose for the most part to only work where people believe. Now, certainly God carries out his larger purposes regardless. The kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdom of Christ. God said, sit here until I put your enemies under your feet. At some moment in the future, the Father is going to send the Son to go get his bride, the church. And all the armies in the world and all the skeptics in the world aren't going to change that for one moment. But as far as working in somebody's life, for the most part, he works where he's invited. He doesn't force himself on people. Jesus doesn't drag people kicking and screaming into the kingdom. Oh sure, there were occasions where Jesus did a miracle without, without the person believing. I mean, I think of Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Lazarus couldn't do anything. He was dead and Jesus raised Lazarus for the dead, from the dead. But for the most part, Jesus healed those who came to him believing. And verse 5 says there were a few here who believed. And it's great for those few, they understood. But for the most part, the rest of the crowd there that day, they, they took offense. And Jesus did no mighty work among them. Folks, think about what they missed. We don't have any record of Jesus going back among them. They missed him. They missed him when they had him. So sad. I want you to think of something else also. Every Christmas we celebrate that Jesus became a man. A man without sin, uh, but a man nonetheless. He's fully man and fully God. And we celebrate that because the book of Hebrews says that because of his humanity, we have a sympathetic high priest. When we take our prayers before him, we can know that Jesus understands the shoes that we walk in because he's been in a man's shoes before. He knows what we face on, on this earth and the trials and the tribulations that we go through. He identifies with us. 
But there are some people who take offense at this. They want to see a God who continually wows with the supernatural. There are some folks who take offense at a God who has condescended to our, le- our level. He just seems too ordinary. And that was their problem at Nazareth. Jesus had grown up among them. They couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that this child who had grown up in their midst, this is the one that Israel had been waiting upon for centuries. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of the living God. And they couldn't wrap their heads around that. But I want you to notice now it's Jesus' turn to marvel. They've marveled at his teaching. Now he marvels at their unbelief. Do you realize there's only one other occasion in the New Testament where we're told uh, that, that Jesus marveled at people? The other occasion would be when the Roman centurion came to Jesus and wanted Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus was going with the man to his home to heal his servant. And the centurion said, "Uh, Lord, you don't need to go with me. I'm a man in authority myself. I have servants. And if I say to one, go, he goes. And if I say to another, do this, he does that. Lord, if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at the faith of that Gentile and he said I've not seen such faith like this in all of the sons of Israel Jesus marveled well Jesus marvels at these folks unbelief despite everything he's done all of the signs he's done all the miracles he's done and I've told you before that the miracles of Jesus weren't designed to make miracle chasers out of them the miracles Jesus was doing were things that they believed that only God could do so again if Jesus is doing things that only God can do who must he be he must be God and that was precisely the point they were to look beyond the miracle and see Whoa, this man must be more than just a man. They had seen all of his miracles. And yet they did not believe. They stumbled over him. They had Jesus Christ in their midst and it made no difference whatsoever. Folks, do you realize he's in our midst today? The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, I am there also in your midst. That's the promise of God that we have. Jesus said to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always. We always have him with us. He's with us here this morning. Will it make any difference whatsoever in you? Does it make any difference in you? As you go about in your life, day in and day out, experiencing all that you experience in life, does it mean anything? Does it make any difference to you to know that the Lord is standing right there with you? Does it change anything about your life? Does it change anything about your your expectations, about your activity, your conduct, your words? Does it change anything? They had Christ with them. And it made no difference. 
And the story closes by telling us Jesus simply left there and he went to other villages. Other villages got the blessing. Let's make some further application. You know, folks, there, there are many opinions today about Christ. Just go out on the street and ask people. You'll hear all sorts of things. Some will express belief and they'll give testimony to be fo being followers of Christ themselves. It's always a blessing to hear that. But some are offended by him. And it reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1 that the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to some and it's a stumbling block to others. And that's some of the responses you and I can get today when we ask people about who Jesus is. Varied responses. And so again, I would ask you, what do you say about this one called Jesus? You can't remain neutral. And what difference is it to you that he's in your midst? And he speaks to you through his word. And he works in people's lives today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's here among us today, and he's at work what difference does it make? I want you to see today that we must come to Christ in faith. We must believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. And he did what the Bible says he did. And we must believe that, that he is able. He's able, as Hebrews 7.25 says, to save to the uttermost those who come by faith to him. To experience Christ, you must believe that He is who the Bible says that He is. And you must come to Him by faith. He's not going to force Himself, He's a gentleman. Second thing I want you to see, Jesus for the most part works at, at least on the individual scale where he's wanted and welcome. What does this tell us even about corporate worship? What should church be like? People ought to come knowing that at any given Sunday, God may do something unexplainable. A soul may be saved, a marriage may be healed. A person at the end of their rope may find the hope that they need. Somebody else may find strength to make it through a trial they're going through. But why do so many people today? They not even bother with church. For many, they just don't believe. And you know what? They'll end up going to hell because they just don't believe. Some are just preoccupied with lesser things. I'll get right with God someday and they pr procrastinate. wonder how many people are in hell today procrastinating, thinking, I, I thought I had more time. Bottom life, unbelief factors into so many cases somehow. It's a problem. People just don't believe that God will work the way they see Him working in the Bible. And the third thing I want you to see though is when we do not believe and respond in faith, God often just quietly moves on to others who get the blessing. And that's what happened here. Jesus left them and just moved on to other villages. 
I want to invite you today to be the kind of person that always believes that Jesus can turn a life around. And it may be your life that needs turning around today. And guess what? Christ can do it. Christ can do it. And folks, we need to always be the kind of church that believes that God can do exactly what he he says in his word he can do. A church of faith who takes God at his word. I wonder if you're that one today who needs to come to him experiencing salvation. Maybe you're one that needs to come to this altar and just lay a trial at the altar and say, God, I've tried my best. I can't do anything else with this. It's yours. I believe that you can do with this what I can't. And you know what? He can help you in that trial. But you've got to believe. You must believe. He's in our midst. But will it make any difference whatsoever? Will it make any difference to you and to me? Father, we thank you for your word. Your word so plainly tells us about your identity and your actions. You're a God of wonders. A God who is able to do more than we could ever even imagine or think. Lord, help us never to doubt that. With the experiences that we go through in life, help us to never doubt that you can change our lives. You can bring hope to the hopeless. You can bring salvation to the lost. You can bring uh, reconciliation in our lives where maybe relationships aren't right. Lord, you're a God of wonders and a God of grace. And may we always look to you. I think of what William Carey said. We're to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Lord, help us to live by faith that way. Lord, I I, I pray that it would make a tremendous difference today. In somebody's life here to know, to know that you're in our midst and you're able to save them. You're able to intervene in their situation. And I pray that they would come to you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please?